The Women of Color STEM Conference presents Ambition Without Fear, Women of Color in Technology, Needed But Hidden Figures No More, a professional development seminar. Featuring Diversity Workforce Catalyst for Ted Childs LLC, Ted Childs, CEO of LG Kim, Denise Gray, Director of Global Diversity and Inclusion for Lockheed Martin Corporation, Fran M. Dillard, Rashida Hodge of IBM Corporation, Senior Technical Staff Member for IBM Corporation, Virginia Mayo, and Director of Workplace Engineering and Operations Solutions Sustainable Workplace for General Motors Corporation, Telva Magruder. 2019 represents 400 years since the arrival of the first slave ships to North America. The progress made by the black community in general and women of color in particular has been documented, not fully, but it can no longer be considered an unknown. Given the film, Hidden Figures, the emergence of a legitimate presidential candidate, and yet the release of the 2019 Fortune 500 list, 33 women, two Asian, one black, we must continue to frame the discussion through our lens. Socially, culturally, politically, and technologically, women of color have been involved in the development of this nation. And yet, in the words of our beloved Maya Angelou, and still I rise. What are the workplace challenges and opportunities of the 21st century for our women? Education, racism, sexism, sexual harassment, mentors, sponsors, white women, other women of color, white men, men of color? Whatever, whoever they are, and for whom they present a challenge, they are on the table for discussion. We are past the time for tolerance of any topic being off the table. Without further ado, the Women of Color STEM Conference presents Ambition Without Fear, Women of Color and Technology, Needed But Hidden Figures No More, a professional development seminar featuring Ted Childs, Denise Gray, Fran M. Dillard, Rashida Hodge, Virginia Mayo, and Telva Magruder. Hi. And welcome. My name is Ted Childs. And this is the fifth time I've played this role. We have had some interesting discussions. Two years ago, we did a focus on Me Too, Time's Up. What does it mean for women of color and technology? A year ago, we did a focus on mentors in today's climate with women of color and two white male vice presidents. And we talked about mentoring, coaching, advancing women of color in the 21st century culture. Those are two of the five that we have done, or four, other four that we've done. And the discussions were very open, provocative, intensely honest. People talked about their lives, their experiences. We heard stories of sexual assault, sexual harassment, abuse. And the content has always been developed with the expectation that we would talk with candor and honesty, that we would talk to young women 
and help them understand the reality of today's workplaces and how to navigate issues, confront issues, overcome issues, that they weren't alone, that there were people that they could go to for help who looked like them. Our goal is not to do anything different today. So in the context of what we're going to talk about, I would like there to be just one ground rule. There is nothing off limits. If you've read the program package, the heading was Ambition Without Fear, Women of Color and Technology Needed, But Hidden Figures No More. I have a deep passion for that theme. I trust that everyone in the room has seen the movie Hidden Figures. I had more of a personal connection to that than any of you would, and that's going to sound kind of odd. But I'm a graduate of West Virginia State College. You have a federal judge here, recently passed, Damon Keith. There's a famous black Baptist minister, Reverend Leon Sullivan, first black to be on a corporate 500 board of directors in the United States, General Motors Board, 1971, graduate of West Virginia State. Ted Childs, the vice president at IBM. We used to sit around and talk about who's the greatest alum of, I, of uh, West Virginia State. And depending upon whose generation was talking about, one of our names would come up. That movie comes out, we learn about Katherine Johnson, and we all say, oh no, the greatest alum of this school is Katherine Johnson. And she's the only one that there's a statue on the campus that we erected very quickly after that movie. So the history and the spirit of women of color and technology inflames us today. My co-moderator is Denise Gray. Those of you who don't know her, I want you to, and I particularly want you to know her because she's, she's here. She has BS in electrical engineering from Kettering University. She has a master's in engineering from Rensselaer Polytech, which is another link to this group because the president of Rensselaer Polytech is Shirley Ann Jackson, black woman, First black woman, black, um, uh, black engineer of the year in the history of the black engineer of the year recognition. First black woman to get a PhD at MIT. Second black woman in the US to get a PhD in physics. First black and first woman to chair the US Nuclear Regulatory Commission and the first black to receive the National Medal of Science. Denise Gray is in that milieu, all right? And she's here with you all, she lives here. She, um, in her career had the title, not title, label, battery czar. But if you follow the evolution of General Motors today, you know that Mary Barra has given the company three goals, three zeros, zero crashes, zero emissions, and zero congestion. And Denise has continued her career focus on providing not national, but global leadership on the subject of batteries and to achieve Mary Barra's vision of zero emissions, the lady who's leading that dis discussion for the world is seated to my left. Fran Dillard, I didn't feel, <laughs> Fran, <laughs> I didn't feel confident leading this discussion without a colleague from the HR profession. <laughs> and Fran is the Director of Global Diversity and Inclusion for Lockheed Martin, 
and she is the key HR advisor to a business area that's a $10 billion business with 19,000 employees. Virginia Mayo is an IBMer. She's the first Filipino woman in IBM to achieve the position of senior staff member. That is an extraordinary accomplishment. I worked at IBM for 39 years. It's a techie company. When I worked there, there were three Nobel Prize winners in the research organization. So if a F Filipino sister has climbed to the level of senior staff member in that company, she's bad. <laughs> Selva Magruder, Director of Workplace Engineering and Operations in the Sustainable Workplace Organization at General Motors. She's the president of the General Motors African American Ancestry Unit. She's the chair of the board of directors of the Girl Scouts of Southeastern Michigan. And she's a very respected executive in the General Motors family. Rashida Hodge. I don't need to look down at Rashida's bio. Rashida is from IBM. Rashida is one of my children. <laughs> Bachelor's and Master's North Carolina State in Industrial Engineering. MBA Duke. And she leads one of the major sales organizations at IBM. Those people are the folks that Denise and I are going to tease out comments. And I want you to think about the comments that you hear because we want you to ask questions also. And for me, evaluating this is easy. That you leave feeling that we met one critical objective that I have every year. Nothing was off limits. The idea that they're recording this is for a very specific purpose. It is not to embarrass you. Tyrone is in the room. He's trying to gather information. Some of you have heard me describe him as the Carter G. Woodson of our time when it comes to black people, people of color, and technology. You can say whatever it is you have to say. It won't follow you out of here. You will never be embarrassed by something you said here. And if there's something that should be said that's not, that would benefit other people, then we will have failed. All right? First question. Have you ever felt like a hidden figure in your academic or career journey? Anybody? I'll start. Um, yes. Um, I would say mainly um, from a career perspective. So I've been at IBM for 18 years, um, and I've done a lot of different roles. I remember I took an opportunity to live overseas in Bratislava, Slovakia. Um, and actually, when I was asked to do this assignment, I kind of knew where Slovakia was, but I probably couldn't identify it on the map if there was a, if there was a test. But I took the opportunity, I took the sacrifice, and I went to do that when no one else wanted to do it. Um, right after that, I took the opportunity to go to China when no one else wanted to go. I still remember the day when my manager came in the room and said, we have this opportunity in Shenzhen, 
it's a hardship location. Um, who wants to go for it? And I was the only one that raised my hand and went. Um, after those two assignments, I actually came back and I had no job, right? And the jobs that were offered to me, um, I felt that they just were not, they did not meet up to the sacrifice that I made and also the accomplishments and capabilities that I also displayed. And, you know, I remember I took a really hard stance and I told my manager and several of my mentors, I'm not taking the job that is offered to me. And many of my mentors, you know, said, oh, that's a really bad decision. You know, you should not do something like that. You know, this is the state of the economy. And I said, well, this is the state of Rashida. Okay. <laughs> so um, I had to take a stand for myself because I saw a pattern. I saw that I was being asked to do the hard things. I was being asked to do the things that no one else wanted to do. But at the same time, I was not being recognized for it in the right proportions. Um, and I had to, you know, take a stand for that. So I stood up for that and I said, this is, this is what I want. You know, this is the type of role that I want. This is the type of level that I want. Either you're going to meet me or we should part ways. Um, obviously we didn't part ways because I'm still here, but what it taught me, and I have to tell you, I was really afraid, right? I mean, I had anxiety, you know, walking through my apartment at that time, you know, going through, should I say this? Should I not? But I built up the courage to say, I have got to do this because if I do not stand up for myself and I don't allow people to see that I'm first an advocate for myself, they will never be an advocate for me. Excellent. I saw some, a bunch of heads nodding over here, probably some other hidden figures, uh, recognition stories. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's whenever we come to these, to these panel discussions, we hear things that remind us of ourselves. And absolutely, your story was a reminder. It's a very similar story I wanted to tell. So, you know, I went through many years of my career. I'm an electrical engineer. went through many years of manufacturing, solving problems that no one else could solve coming in when we'd had processes down for hours at a time and, and solving the problem, getting it going, people marveling, wondering how I did it. I would get great performance reviews year after year, half year after half year, but I would consistently watch as other people were chosen for assignments that I was more than qualified for. And what, what made it worse was after a while, you know, I became a manager and people would start rumors. You know, there was this core belief that if you start a rumor, it will come true. And, and <laughs> you know, and those guys were great at starting rumors. They were fantastic at it and they were fantastic at making them come true. So I would watch and then people would say, oh, Talva, you should have had that job. We're going to start a rumor. And they would start a rumor and I wouldn't get the job, <laughs> you know, and and, and I realized, you know, that they loved me doing great work where I was, but not necessarily doing great work in some of those positions that were seen as more favorable, more favorable. And truly a hidden figure that was in plain sight, because I was the one that got called on Saturday at 7.15 p.m. when the line was down. I was the one that was asked to mediate arguments between people and get get them through it so we could move forward, but not the one that would necessarily be considered for some of the more uh, prime positions. So what I, what I started to do was have really forward conversations, really forward conversations with the people that I knew were making the decisions, not, not conversations where I would sit there and say, you know, why not me? Conversations where they can understand my value beyond what they could see in the end of shift reports and, and things of that nature. 
And eventually then someone came to me one day and offered me a job that was worth it because I was tired of people coming to see me afterward sad that someone else got the job and not me when it should have been me. That needed to stop. So I'll, I'll go next. Um, so I, um, I'm not uh, an engineer, but I can, even in my space in the HR world and, and program management world, um, I can relate to the stories that, that's being told. So I'm gonna give you a context uh, that is real time for today. And I'm gonna specifically talk about my 25 year old daughter who is in her third year of medical school. And I have the opportunity through all of these experiences because I've had the opportunity to be in the talent reviews with the executives when they're talking about, you know, who we're gonna promote next. Uh, who's ready now? Who's ready two to three years from now? Um, I've had the opportunity to see women going through really difficult, challenging times, trying to figure out, well, how can I get that opportunity? Why wasn't I selected? So all the stories that you're hearing from these amazing women, I've had the opportunity to be one of them and also be behind the scenes with the executives driving to solutions from a talent perspective. My daughter called me um, a couple of weeks ago and uh, she's going through her clinical rotations right now. And she was working with a doctor of psychiatry at a psychiatry institute for our two week clinical rotation. She said to me that, mom, I feel very, very uncomfortable. And I hope I don't get emotional talking about this, about what's happening you know, in my rotation. Um, every time the doctor, uh, who was a white female doctor, talks uh, to us or is giving us information, she will never look at me or acknowledge me. She will only acknowledge the white female. And I don't know what to do. And I gave her some suggestions, I gave her some advice. And towards the end of her two week rotation, she asked her white colleague, she said, I wanted to talk to you. She said, have you uh, noticed or experienced the doctor not acknowledging you? She actually even turns her back when, I, you know, when I'm there and she's talking to you. And her white colleague started to tear up and cry. She said, Tori, I have felt so uncomfortable watching you go through that. And she said, if you need me to speak up, if you need me to support you in following up on the experience of this clinical rotation, please do. Uh, together, they worked and they both wrote very compelling letters around that experience. Uh, and her colleague said in her closing statement, she said it was about the dignity, how she made her feel. She said she took her dignity away during that time and not giving her an opportunity to be heard or acknowledged. Uh, the wrap up to that story is they've taken this doctor off of the rotations, but my daughter vacillated in saying, mom, maybe I shouldn't say anything. Maybe I shouldn't write this up. Maybe I shouldn't talk to the dean. And I told her, no, you think about the next people, the next young woman of color who comes um, and does a clinical rotation with this specific doctor, it needs to be addressed. The doctor has been taking off of rotations for the medical students in South Carolina. So it's just a great example of what's happening today uh, that our young women of color are experiencing. And it's important that we speak up. Um, and by the way, she's in the top 25% of her class. Um, and out of 107 <laughs> students, there's only five African-Americans. Excellent, excellent. I'm tearing up too. It's okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Virginia. 
Yes, yeah, so um, my experience is a little bit different, is a bit off tangent from the ladies here in the panel with me. So as an IBM uh, senior technical staff member, it is the highest non-executive technical role in the, the company. And one of the things that, and perhaps it was culturally, it was me that I don't talk too much in the meetings. I, I let all the men say, hey, this is what we're gonna do, is, is perhaps it's a Asian Filipino in me that I like to observe. I like to really form my thoughts and my designs and my strategies before saying, oh, this is a great idea. So one of the things that's helped me out really has been white women like Rhonda, who's here, mentoring me saying, no, 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 you gotta find your technical voice. You gotta be strong. When you know they're walking off the cliff, you have to say, Virginia, yeah. they are walking off the cliff. <laughs> so it's been a learning experience. I'm still learning to find that technical voice. And I think it's going to be a work in progress, but it's sometimes it's, I think that, you know, for me personally, I've put myself to be hidden, but you know, obviously, I, I do my work, I, I got to where I am because of my work ethic, but it's sometimes we have to bring ourselves up and say, hey, that is great. That is great that I'm the first SDSM appointment in, in uh, my uh, business unit, that kind of stuff. So we gotta pat ourselves in the back a little bit. <laughs> excellent, excellent. I heard um, confidence in yourself being Rashida, and that's okay because you know what you want. I heard about speaking with others to get support and to be able to bounce your ideas off. I heard finding your technical voice. And I also want to say this because sometimes we say, and I heard you say that, Virginia, that it's because maybe it's my culture. I just say it's Virginia. Because quite frankly, I like to sometimes be extremely quiet and it's okay to be not um, speaking off of the top of your head and actually taking in information. It's you and how you process that information. Mm -hmm. And so it's okay to, to be, uh, introspective from that perspective. I also want to say in just one small story for me, my very first executive position. Um, so I'm in a technical area doing software and development for engine controls. And because at the company I worked for, General Motors, they always wanted to make sure they had a, a wide view of um, candidates to, uh, um, to interview for different roles. So it was an executive role that was I was, I was being interviewed for. I had been around this group of people, this group of men, for four years. Every week I ran the, um, the technical review of what was happening across our business unit. Um, I had my own department that I had to run as well, um, doing all kind of new things. But when I got that opportunity to interview, with the people who I've been, again, seeing for four years outside of the HR professional in the room. As I started talking about me, because usually we, women, don't talk about us much. We talk about the job we gotta get done, our deliverables. We talk about our family. We, we always talk about ourselves. And, and I'm in that same way. I'm just not that one to boast about me. But in the interview, it's all about you and what you have done. And so I had to really practice, how am I gonna be able to say that without being arrogant? Because I don't wanna be, be, be labeled an arrogant person. And I thought about it and I prepared. After the interview, the people on the panel, because I think they already figured out who they were gonna hire already. And I was a little bit of the, let me follow the process and check the box. 
But after that, they came up to me and go, I had no idea. I had no idea you were behind that project that got launched on time. I had no idea that you did this and you did that and you did it behind the scenes and not with a lot of fanfare. And that program did go on time. It wasn't behind. We never heard about that program. But now when you went through the interview, you used that as examples of what you did. And don't you know, I ended up getting that position. But it was just amazing that for four years I had been eye to eye with these very same people and they had no idea what my contribution was. So all the things that you've said and what I'm saying as well as being able to speak for yourself on what you've done and how you're doing and where you want to go and also taking those risks. Rashida talked about going to a country that if you, she could probably spell it, but if she had to say, where is it? She probably couldn't figure out. I had the same kind of experience when I went to, quite frankly, Silicon Valley after living in Detroit my whole life. And I went to Silicon Valley, which was a foreign country to me. <laughs> and then after that, now I'm getting bold. I'm going to Austria. And that was awesome. And it all adds to your experiences by which you can then be able to have a voice in what you know and how you're going to do it and those kinds of things. So thank you, panelists, for those, uh, those topics. I really do appreciate it. I think they're awesome. I'll let Ted ask the next question. Have any of you ever observed someone who was threatened, um, someone who was treated as a hidden figure and you didn't speak up and you regretted it later? And if no one does, we'll go to the next question. But and I say that because you're all into your careers. And I'm assuming that at some point, you didn't have the juice that you got now, <laughs> you know, where yeah. now you could raise some hell. But you might have been, and by the way, I was there as a younger, younger person where I had the, those who people who know me know that at the, at the back end, I did not ever not speak up. But any stories you want to tell about an observation along the way? I'll speak to that, Ted. I agree with you. My, my observations are early in my career. When you're, when you're earlier in your career, you meet people, you meet people that you admire a lot, and you realize that they are helping you a lot and you're making some huge contributions in areas that are meaningful. And you, and you, but you also hear them. You hear them ex express their frustration about how they're being overlooked and about how they don't understand how certain decisions are made. And as a young person, you, you don't understand it either. And certainly earlier in my career, I would see that, I would be sad about it, but I didn't feel that I could do anything about it. You know, you know going forward and looking back, I realized that that's not true. At any point in your career, when you see someone being overlooked that you think is adding value, first of all, you don't marginalize your own thoughts. Because if you see that that person is adding value and you can put your finger on that value, whether it's investing in you or investing in the technology or investing in the process, then that's real. It's not immaterial. And there are other people, regardless of where you are in the business or how long you've been there, that value what you have to say. So regardless of where you are in your career, you can say, have you talked to Jane about that? Have you talked to Rashida about that? Because she has the knowledge that you need to solve this problem. You can say that. You can say, hey, I was talking to Fran the other day, and this is, this is what she was telling me. 
you know, it sounds like what you're talking about right now, maybe you should go talk to her. Regardless of where you are in the organization, you don't have to be a manager or an executive to advocate for people. And I wish I had known that when I was, when I was younger. I think, go ahead. Um, that's a good point. I mean, one of the things I always say is, especially as, you know, an executive, I always lead with, you know, it's my responsibility to speak for those who are less empowered to do so. Because when I was early in my career, um, you know, I didn't know what to do, right? And, you know, a lot of times I struggle with this because for me, I grew up in the Caribbean. I grew up in the Virgin Islands, St. Thomas. So I grew up around, you know, 90% black people. So I didn't have a, a, a confidence issue, right? I saw black people that were successful, that was governors, that, you know, were lawyers and doctors. So I showed up like I always did, right? So, you know, for me, I had to kind of learn, you know, how to actually tame myself down so people can understand my perspective in the right way. And I also had to see how others, how to help others that was allowing themselves to be hidden and actually didn't know, right? Um, and so I had to teach myself how to do that. I mean, I had a, late, a colleague of mine, she was actually reporting to me when I got promoted to my first vice president position, you know, I recommended her to my manager for the role and nothing happened. I said, have you interviewed for this job? No, haven't heard anything about it. And then I took the opportunity to actually go four levels up to my senior vice president and I said, this person is right for this job, right? And I told them all the reasons why. I said, I wanna make sure that this person is being actively considered because I do not think that the slate that is being considered today is diverse or inclusive enough, right? And I had a colleague that looked just like me who said, you know, Rashida, I don't think that it's appropriate for you to do that. People are going to think that you're just only advocating for black people. And my response to him was, so what? <laughs> right? So I think a part of your growth is that um, to an earlier point that was made, I think Denise made it, we're all different and we all approach these situations and different things. And I think we have to figure out sometimes the way I may advocate for Fran or I may advocate for Virginia or they want to be advocated for is different. And a part of that growth is learning how to do that, learning how to be receptive towards that so that you empower yourself but also you empower those individuals. I, um, I I agree with both um, these ladies, um, and I would say, you know, um, early in, in my career, uh, I'll toss in a little bit on sexual harassment, um, just to kind of bring us, you know, to that space because it's real. Uh, in the recent uh, Women in the Workplace study, uh, they said that 35% of women in the workplace that were surveyed out of the 64,000 women that were surveyed as a part of that survey were sexually harassed. Um, early in my career, when I was in college working part-time at a construction firm, um, it was four of us, um, and the construction manager uh, hired a, an array of women, I would say, uh, from different backgrounds, um, and he was inappropriate uh, with uh, several of the young women. We were all 20, 19 years old, um, and he touched uh, some of us inappropriately, 
we didn't know where to go, who to talk to. The money was, I mean, we were being paid very well for part-time employees, provided lunch every day, um, but it was uncomfortable. We talked about it to each other, but didn't know how to talk about it outside of that situation. Um, today, uh, it's a different story, of course. Uh, we're much smarter in that space. Uh, typically, our companies are telling us who we need to uh, talk to. If I have a situation, I, I, I get these situations quite often, um, whether it be externally from people that know me that will have other people who call me about how do I deal with this. Um, and I think our companies have done a terrific job in making sure that there's infrastructure to address sexual harassment. But I would still say there's still quite a few women that don't know what to do when that happens, that they are experiencing those situations in the workplace, and they're not sure how to handle it because it is complicated. It is nuanced. Do I wanna be, you know, do I wanna go and report my manager? Do I wanna go and report that colleague? How is that going to impact my career? Oh no, I'm just not gonna say anything. It's not that bad, I can deal with it. So when you talk about sexual harassment and not speaking up, I'm a big advocate for when people have spoken up, the environment is better because if it's usually not just that one person, there's more than that one person. Um, so that would be an example that I would share, Ted. In the, in the climate of the theme of whistleblowers, <laughs> that is an extraordinary message because I have handled hundreds of them. And you know what you find out? It is rare that one guy only harasses one woman. Absolutely. It's a leopards and spots kind of deal. And if he did it once, there's a trail. Most often, there's a trail. In the, in the write-up, we gave you 10, in the framing statement, we gave you 10 challenges. Education, racism, sexism, sexual harassment, lack of mentors, lack of sponsors, white women, women of color, white men, and men of color. You all have the list. What are the top two from your perspective in today's reality? I'll start. Um, so I don't have a top two. You gonna say all of them? Not all of them. <laughs> the challenge I have around this topic sometimes or ranking them is, you know, I feel more broadly that corporations and people feel comfortable um, addressing certain groups, whether it's white women or the LGBT community. And personally, I feel that um, people of color, and specifically women of color, we are being diminished, right? And the conversation is not being had. So, you know, for me, that is something that I think is very important. Um, we have to make sure that the progress that we've made is not lost, and we have to make sure that in the process of having a diverse and inclusive conversation, that we continue to progress a message that is needed around people of color. And because I continue to be the only one in the room, 
right? Um, we continue to see boards. Mm -hmm. You're seeing laws that are being passed. I live in California around, you know, getting more, you know, women on boards. And when you see that, it is white women only. You're not seeing progress around people of color and black women, right? Or other my, underrepresented minority groups. So I think as we talk about this, I think all of these topics, these challenges are important, but I think we need to make sure that they are all addressed at equal footing and they have an equal voice um, so that no group is marginalized. And I think to add to that, I one of the phrases that resonate with me is uh, from the She Can STEM campaign this year, where it, uh, they say, if you can see it, then you can be it. And so it makes me a little bit, ugh, 2016, first, you know, Filipino appointed SCSM and IBM, and I said, no, can I just be recognized for my accomplishment, right? But I look around in the room, I'm the only one that looks like me. So it's taking some time, but I'm embracing the role that, hey, I'm doing this for all the other girls out there, Filipinos, women of, you know, children of color to say, hey, she's on the table. She's making decisions for the infrastructure of this company. Um, I could be like that. So I think that as women of color in leadership positions, we have to embrace that we got here because of our talents, but it's also, Again, tap, you, tap yourself in the back because someone is looking at you, someone is watching you and how you react to these accolades. And Excellent, yeah. excellent. You're listening to Ambition Without Fear, Women of Color and Technology, Needed But Hidden Figures No More, a professional development seminar featuring Ted Childs, Denise Gray, Fran M. Dillard, Rashida Hodge, Virginia Mayo, and Telva Magruder. Brought to you by the Women of Color STEM Conference, uniting women in STEM by continuing the press for progress. Be sure to check out our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Yeah, I tend, I tend to agree with, with, both, with, both, with what both Virginia and Rashida said. This, this idea of picking two, it's a hard idea. It really is. Ted. It was Ted's, it was Ted's idea. It was not Ted's mine. idea. We're, we're going to blame him. No, but seriously, it's difficult because it's a mixture of everything. When we look at our situation today, we can even, we can look at ourselves and we can look at many, many other, other scenarios that put that situation in play. I mean, it's not that we aren't necessarily making progress. In some cases, we see a backslide. We see, we see regression. And really, that regression comes from the fact that the communities at large, whether they be corporate communities, even nonprofit communities, governmental organizations, all of those communities at large don't necessarily have all of the levers in play that are necessary to change in the direction of the future that we want to see. For example, we have people that really legitimately every day think they're making the right decisions. <laughs> I think about that. <clears throat> they think they're making the right decisions. They think that those interview uh, choices that are being made for who gets brought into the interview room are being made for the right reasons. The reasons those choices are actually being made is because their bosses are telling them to make those choices. So they're doing what they think they're supposed to do because their boss says you need to have a diverse interview pool. 
you need to have a diverse interview team. They're not doing it because they believe that there's value in including a varied group of people in the interview pool. And so we're, we're, we're living in a soup where, you know, people think that, yeah, we're doing the right thing and it just so happens that that person didn't get that role, you know? As a matter of fact, there are a lot of situations like the one Denise described earlier where people come in and show up in ways that weren't realized, but the blinders and the fog are so thick that people cannot see through it to make a different choice because the choices that they, the things they've already seen are more real to them. And it's hard to make the choice that's right. So we're dealing with a situation where people think they're doing the right thing, and on top of that, there's a lack of courage to do what's hard. So really what we have to work against is the fear factor. The fear of not, you know, the fear of, of overcoming what it takes to do more than what your boss asked for, you know, and to have conversations that you're not being told to have and to listen in a way that you actually haven't been taught yet. That's really, I think, what the, what the real battle is. You know, Talva, when you say that, I had two thoughts come to my mind. Number one, putting ourselves in the right position. I yes. truly feel yes. that the STEM roles in particular is that gateway. When I volunteered to be interviewed, when I got my first executive position, and I, I think it was my third executive position, and then I realized that what I was doing, it was time for me to take it to the next level of making myself capable. And so I asked to become the battery director at GM. And what I realized, there were only two people on the list asking for it. And guess what? I got it. And, um, and, and, and the reason why is because it was hard. There was no supply base really developed. Nobody knew if this part would even live for, you know, we talk about 10 years, 15 years, life of the vehicle. We had no idea if it would live, live two years. And quite frankly, at the time, the battery cost more than the car. <laughs> but it was a challenge that I said, okay, I'll take it on. Why not? It's needed. I understood the big goal that it was needed in order to meet all the CO2 requirements that were coming out, this clean air, all these things. It was going to be needed. And so, thank, by the grace of God, I think I got put in position to ask for it. So guess what? I moved from the back of the line or the blinders or the hidden to the front of the line. And let me tell you, when all of a sudden GM came out of bankruptcy and they had to talk about the, to the government on what the new GM was going to be, electrified powertrains, electric vehicles on top of what they saw their future to be. And guess who all of a sudden was kind of pushed out there in front to talk about it? Again, I'm like you, Virginia. I'd rather kind of just do my work in the background and just get it done. But guess what? because of the position and the technology and the area I was in, everybody else had to step back. I didn't have to tell them to get back. They, they were just back. And now I saw myself in the front, but I had confidence because of the 
work I had done, the capability I had to go speak and mediate when people couldn't put these two groups together because they didn't like each other. But us people, women, we have a tendency to just work it all out for the better of the, the, the broad answer. And I found myself in that spot. So all I'm saying is we got to keep pressing on because for women of color, it ain't over. We're just in the very beginning of it. So we can't become comfortable when we see, um, even, you know, I think about Mary Barra being the president of General Motors, but GM ain't done. They're not done. In fact, they probably have more to do. Just this week, I went into a funk at work because I had a member of the senior, of my senior leadership team come into the room and say, Denise, people are talking. I said, about what? about they're afraid to talk to you about two of the people in your company that they don't think it's holding up their, 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 their they're not meeting their deliverables. Mm -hmm. And I said, who? Do you know it was two black women? And we only got two black women of leadership? And I said, who's doing the talking? And he said, I can't tell you the names. And I'm looking at this guy now, he's not from this country. So I'm thinking, does he know what he's really saying? Is there a translation issue here? <laughs> so I had to say, do you recognize that you're telling me that you're hearing rumors of people who you don't even feel that you're comfortable with identifying, and you're telling me they're two black women, you haven't singled out anybody else in the company, and you're telling me, hello, I'm a black woman. <laughs> I don't think he still gets it. So then I said, well, let's give me some examples of what they say they're not doing. And he went through. At the end of, the t end of, end of that presentation, he says, they're not filling out their time cards right. I'm like, I think we're done with this discussion. <laughs> so we're not. So it told me, even being the president of the company, I still get it. There are still people who don't have a clue, even senior members who do not have a clue about this. So we're not done. So I agree, the women of color, that's my top list. And it's because we're just not through. We can't be comfortable. We have to continue to press on. It is true that I made up that list. <laughs> um, and because I wanted to point out one thing. I get to work with a lot of companies, and one of the things that I found interesting to look at is if I, if I isolate the minority groups, black, Hispanic, Asian, and look at the executive populations in each, the men dominate the number. And one of my points of conclusion from that is that white women have done quite well. And there's a reason for that. Their men took them along. And we men of color have not been as aggressive or progressive about taking our women along on the journey in business. And we need to step up in a, lar in a, in a far more formidable way, visibly. We can't be ashamed about it. Our women are going to college, they're getting degrees, they're getting the best degrees, they're, they're getting the jobs that develop people. 
that from which you can select from the talent pool. And we got to be more comfortable selecting women who look like us. And the only event that I'm associated with in the country that is a profile event for you is women of color and technology. I talk a lot about Tyrone Tabor and being the Carter G. Woodson of the technical world for us. He's in the room. It, this is his idea. This thing has taken root now, and we need more black, Hispanic, and Asian men to follow him and stepping up, stepping out for our women. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. Right. Absolutely. I, I keep putting those signs up. I, I, you know, I'll be 75 in a couple. I'll be 75 in a couple of weeks. I can't see that far. Um, I'm going to ask one more question. When you look at the at the challenges that we've talked about, what do you know now that you didn't know then that should be a message on any of these things? When you were young and you had to deal with some of this nonsense, what didn't you know then that you know now? that you want to share, because they're only going to hear it from you if they're going to hear it at all. Know your worth. Know your worth. Um, I had a career um, milestone deferred, and it, it was tough, but I, um, I had successful projects, I had good projects, and I knew my worth. I said, hey, you already are an executive, so walk like one. <laughs> so just own the role, own the role, you'll, you'll get it one day. So. And I'll piggyback. <laughs> I always tell young people, when you act the role, they'll give it to you. Absolutely. So I'll piggyback on what Virginia just um, said. I think knowing your worth matters. How you enter a company for mid-career women. If you're going to make a career change because you're not happy where you are, make sure you're being smart of how you enter the next company. Because if you're entering in a level that's below your worth, it's hard to pull out of that and grow in that company. So make sure you enter at the right level. For our early career women, it matters how you enter the workplace. Those rotational programs that we talked about, you know, early career programs, it matters to start there because that has the right infrastructure, uh, mentors and sponsorship to help you in your first three years. And my last piece of advice is don't sit in a position for five years and don't move. If you're not growing, I don't care how many times your manager tells you, oh, you're doing a great job, you're doing a good job, just keep it up. 3% raises, maybe a 4% every now and then. If you are not moving, talk to your manager, talk to a sponsor, get with HR. If you are not moving, make sure you're working your external network. Do not sit still because that's time wasted. They need to deliver for you. We're in a war for talent right now. The marketplace for roles, jobs, engineers, female engineers, females in technology and medicine has never been better. You don't have to accept mediocre. Know your worth. Couple thoughts. Bloom uh, where you're planted. For those that are particularly young in your career, but it really doesn't matter where you are in your career. Someone gave me this advice, I don't know, several years ago. It's so important when you are moving through roles, and it is important to move through roles. I'm not talking levels, I'm talking roles, and you get both. Bloom where you're planted. Sometimes you land somewhere and 
you're not happy to be there. But any place you land, you can grow. It does not matter where you are. It does not matter how frustrated you are that you aren't where you want to be. If you don't, if you don't sink in then and suck every nutrient out of that role, then you have let yourself down. You absolutely have to, to find every nutrient. And when you're doing that, you'll grow your roots and those roots will connect you to the next place that you need to grow. You will get there. But if you sit there and you're frustrated because people aren't treating you right or because you think you're being you know, disrespected, you address that, but don't let it sacrifice what you should be learning in those moments. Don't let it sacrifice that. So bloom where you're planted, every single role you land in. And then, and then the, the second thing I'll say is that it's really important in your career, and I wish I had, had known this sooner than I really realized it, to share yourself. Mm-hmm. So we work hard. All of us work hard. All of you work hard. We have, we have gotten through crazy amounts of schooling. We have gotten through ridiculous assignments. And a lot of us will tend to put your head down, get it done, put your head down, get it done, put your head down, get it done. And while you're putting your head down and getting it done, no one really knows who you are. You know, it goes to what Denise said earlier. So you can work with people for years and they really don't know you. And if they don't know you, they will not take a risk on you. What we need to battle this hidden figure situation is people that are courageous enough to step up and stand up for you and for you to be courageous enough to step up and stand up for yourself. And that happens the more you share yourself with others. So have conversations, build relationships, let people know who you are and what you're about and, 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 the, and, the, and the TikTok behind how you get things done. Because that's what people can believe in. And that's what they invest in. So those are my, my thoughts. So I would say three things. One is there is power in your voice, regardless of what role you are in, where you are within your organization. You've got to realize that you have power in your voice and you've got to realize that you should use it and you should also use it as leverage. Okay, I wish I did that much earlier on in my career. The second thing I would say is, you know, a lot of times when we talk about mentors and sponsors, especially as people of color, a lot of times we look at people that look like us. We need to find mentors that don't look like us because in the room, they don't look like us, unfortunately, right? So, you know, I've really made sure that my sponsors and my mentors are very colorful, right? Because I wanna make sure that the people in the room that are voting on the jobs right? They are there and they're represented and they're advocating for me. So you want to make sure that you have advocates and allies and those advocates and allies should come in multiple forms because they can all help you with different things, right? My mentors that are my sisters, there's some things I want to talk to them about. My mentors that are, you know, a white guy of German descent, right? At a certain level, maybe there's something I want to talk to him about. But sometimes we put ourselves in boxes, you know, don't box yourself out. In that same line of thinking, you know, today I run a $2 billion business for IBM. When I started out as an industrial engineer in supply chain, managing our PC division, that was not on my radar screen. 
okay? I probably thought I was gonna work in the manufacturing plant, maybe in Poughkeepsie, you know, manage a line as a manager. That wasn't even at my site. But what we are taught as technologists is fundamentally how to solve problems, right? How to solve problems, how to do things more efficiently and more effectively. So make sure that, you know, you are positioning yourself for the potential that you have and the potential that you want so that you can succeed in terms of whatever success looks like for you. And not because you are a techie, because a lot of them, oh, you're a techie, you're an engineer. A techie and engineer can be a senior vice president, can be a CEO. And if that's what you want, you want to make sure that you are seen in that light and you have opened up yourself for others to see you within that perspective as well. Any questions in the room before they make us stop? Any questions? Hello, my name is Cynthia. I just have a quick question. Um, actually, diversity and inclusion is one of my favorite things in the work environment. Uh, I started with a new company four years ago. It was my first time actually working with a group, majority of men that came from a variety of backgrounds. But the one thing we that was great about that team is that they all supported everyone's growth. Um, as I mentioned, I started the company four years ago. I am a software quality analyst now. My new company was pushing me to be a software quality engineer. It was great in concept and thought there was a need for it, and I wanted to feel that need, except, yeah, I really don't want to be an engineer. However, what I do like is I love being a part of a tech company family team, but I want to take the leadership role in that. Um, with that being said, is it valuable being part of the tech industry where you have some knowledge for the technical background to talk to developers um, in regards to what they do in integrations, but be a leader of those teams with the hope of bringing in more diversity and inclusion? Fran? Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I, I think that, you know, absolutely, if you have a culture in a company that is supportive of diversity and inclusion, absolutely there's hope. Mm -hmm. um, there's uh, amazing opportunities to connect and engage um, and attract diverse talent in the organization. One of the things that I would say is, you know, some of the reality out there is that the, the, the pool of diverse talent, especially when you look at blacks and Hispanics in engineering, um, is very small today. So, you know, when you think about this type of conference and the work that we're doing to inspire more young, diverse women and people to go into engineering, um, you know, it's important work. Um, I think leading it is, you know, both attracting and make sure that when you're bringing those, that talent in, that they can acclimate to the environment, that it's an open environment that will accept them and give them the opportunity to grow and advance and they'll see role models. Those are all things that are important, but absolutely you can attract a diverse and inclusive uh, team. From the leadership, I'll, I'll let some of the other technical leaders address that, but I don't, I mean, I, I, I think it's more than the possibility, it's a reality, you can do it. Yeah, I, I concur, it's, it takes focus. 
yeah. and it takes effort and it, and it takes a lot of times growing a pipeline, mm-hmm. um, identifying where your pipeline is, maybe in other parts of the company, depending on the size of the company, you, you need to consider that as well. So a lot of times if you just look in your immediate area, it doesn't seem like it's a possibility, but when you look beyond that, it, it, it typically is. So but it does take effort and focus and it takes partnership. So you won't necessarily be able to do it by yourself. Okay, build allies. Part of building allies is to um, help the people in your company understand the reality of the new American reality. And the new American reality is that this country had, had 100 million people in 1915. They had 200 million people in 19... 1967, 12% minority. At 300 million people in 2006, 30% minority. We're going to have 400 million people by 2045. It's going to be 54% uh, minority. It'll be 200 million people of color. Only going to be nine countries in the world that have 200 million people at all. We're going to have 200 million people of color. 100 million Hispanic, they're going to be equal to the 18th largest country in the world, second largest Hispanic people, uh, country in the world. The 200 million people of color are going to be equal to the 10th largest country in the world. That's the reality of an evolving talent pool and marketplace. So they need to understand that if they're going to think strategically, that's a deck of cards they can't reshuffle. Ty? Yes, uh, first of all, great panel. Thank you, Ted, Denise, (laughs) panel. You guys are uh, incredible. And what I want to say is that we have two technologists of the year, not only Denise, but we have Donna Bell here, who's been sitting in the audience. I've heard so many great things, but I really want this takeaway. You know, we put too much blame on ourselves. We make ourselves the victim, okay? And what I mean by that, we talk about we need more mentors, we need this. It's not that they don't know us. They don't want to know us. We show up and we do the work. They, white men and other men, are lift up even if they're the most meek people. Even if they fail, they are lifted by their community. We show up, you show up, you do the work every single day, and when you don't get the promotions, you think it's, it's something that you did. It's institutional. Now, here's the final thing. You look throughout the United States of America, there's no event like this. There's no multicultural event like this. Women of all colors, all cultures showing up. White women, black women, people say, well, women of color. I say, well, black's not a color, white's not a color. But yet, you know, we're all here. The point is, is that when we talk about the lack of women in technology, you don't see any of you be in that face. It's not an accident. And all I want to say is that, yes, you have to have your own voice, but this is institutional. And this event and people like Ted and Denise and Donna, all of us, it's about creating an institution, a safe community. You're safe here about lifting us up. You shouldn't have to do all of this by yourself. There's a whole lot of other people and a whole lot of other companies and folks who should be doing it automatically because it happens automatically for a whole bunch of other folks. 
I appreciate any comments or thoughts, but I just wanted to leave it behind. You are not the problem. You are not the problem. You've been the solution. Okay? And, and you've got a fight ahead of you, and we're here to fight with you. But don't ever think that it's something that you've done. They don't know us because they don't want to know us. Okay, I'm going to cap that. Before, before, I, before I left IBM, I was invited by the IBM Women at Research to come talk to them. At Research Division, I told you earlier, three Nobel Prize winners, whatever. And they were concerned about the lack of women in leadership at the, in the development or um, research organization. And I said to them after about an hour of intense discussion, I want you to take a journey with me. I want you to take a walk. High school, you took the tough courses, chemistry, physics, calc, trig. How many girls were in class with you? You went to college and majored in something technical, something STEM. How many girls were in your major? Five. You went to graduate school and got a master's in this stuff. How many women were in your, in your master's program? And then all the women in that room, you all went to some prestigious program, got a PhD. How many women were in your PhD program? And my message was, if they haven't been with you on the journey, they cannot be there at the destination. So I'm not trying to pick a fight with my brother, because he and I do a lot together. But I want you to understand and accept responsibility for if there are going to be more people like you, then you have got to be very, not dreaming about it, not talking about it, but very hands-on, involved in touching, creating opportunities for young girls to see you. But you cannot be what you can't see. And you've got to be what they see so that they believe that, oh, that group of women started a series of camps in IBM around the world for eight years. And when one little girl said, I thought engineers go train. I didn't know they did this. Well, you've got to be the dispellers of the myth. That y'all don't know a damn thing about training. <laughs> you wanted to ask a question. To be the last question. Go ahead. Well, I have a combination of a question and a comment. The one thing I want to say, sitting through this, uh, the panel and the panelists who are extremely talented, and that's the one thing I did not hear them say something about a lack of talent. One of the challenges that we have when we go into, into organizations or companies, there's two things at play there. You have policies and you have procedures, practices, I should say. And sometimes it's not that you are not skilled, that you're not knowledgeable of what those practices are. And those policies know the difference in those when you step into these companies. There's a culture in every company. And sometimes it's that culture that comes back to take a snap. It has nothing to do with your talent. It's because of that culture that you haven't been able to acclimate, accept, or, or understand even. So I'm from HR, and you probably can tell that. But I see a lot of talent come through, but they just can't deal with that culture. Mm -hmm. But there's a, a, a shift somewhere when you come in and understanding that this company has a culture. This company has practices. They're not written down, and they are not fair. 
So you need to be aware of those and understand those policies. And policies are written, read, read, and then read it again. Don't go ask somebody else. But you have that power yourself. Empower yourself. And when they come to you with those practices, you ask, show me where that's written. They can't show you that, then step back. Because I'm talented enough to sit at that table up front. And the other thing I want to say is that we have to come in with that confidence. If there are no placards on the table, sit at the table. Don't sit on the wall in the corner. Sit at the table if there are no placards on the table. But my question for the panel, just a, a quick snippet. Tell me one culture or one thing that you had to transition to learn when you came out of college to take your first job. Because some people think it's all about that education, but you gotta take that education and, and it's gonna be the heavy part of that balance, but it's that other part that's under there. So one thing that you had to deal with or learn to accept or to learn to just ignore when you came out of college to take that first job. Rashida. For me, it was. <laughs> Wow. That's, that's I, got, a I got stories, but me, Rashida's more. Wearing, uh, wearing white shirts. So I'm gonna I want to answer your question a little bit different, probably because it's something that I've been struggling with. But you know, when I first came out of college, I did a lot of assimilation, right? Because like I told you, I grew up in a predominantly black community, so I was now just dealing with you know other people all the time. So I felt like I had to assimilate. I mean, people would pronounce, I mean, Rashida, I mean, you look at it and you should be able to pronounce it, but people would pronounce my name incorrectly. And I remember going to a colleague of mine, I was like, I think I should change my name, right? And he was a Turkish guy and he was like, no, you don't. He was like, he was like, when you show up on these conference calls, John has to say John Smith, John Jones, you just say Rashida. That's right. He's like, That's I don't right. even know another Rashida in IBM. Okay, there's two more, but you know, <laughs> but he was like, you've got to be able to own, to be able to own that. So when I first came out of college, I did a lot of assimilation, but I have to tell you the hardest, and that was easy to do. And that transition was easy. The harder transition for me is actually, I call it, you know, the closer you get to the sun, what you see. I mean, I'm a very safe, I'm one of the highest ranking black executives at IBM. Okay. So um, I get to see a lot. And you know, one of the things that you know, I have to do is I have to make sure from a culture perspective, I stand up. And if the culture that I see is not right, regardless of if it's the culture or not, I have to be willing to stand up and defend that regardless of what the consequences are. And what I have seen is we have not been doing that as a community lately, right? And so sometimes I feel like I'm on my own. But I said, I don't care if I'm on my own, I'm going to do it. So I think, you know, when you get closer to the sun and you get those executive positions, you cannot back down. You cannot say, I'm here and I need to hold my spot because, you know, to someone else's point, you know, the institution may kick you out. So when you have the opportunity to stand up, you have got to, got to do it. I think coming out of college, um, a straight A student, you know, um, a leader in in, um, in the student organizations, and walking into corporate America, 
and I'm speaking of my experience and just experiences that um, I learned from some of the young people coming into our company. Um, it's a different environment and the culture can knock you down. Um, and coming in with that confidence um, and making sure that those relationships are a priority and building those relationships is really, really important. I've had young women who've come to me, um, specifically African-American women, about their natural hair. Can I grow in the company? Is that gonna prevent me from being promoted or being considered for stretch assignments because of my natural hair? Um, I, the first time I heard it, I just thought it was, you know, no, of course not. Um, but it's a real fear that young women are dealing with, especially in, in the African-American uh, community. Um, you also have, you know, some of our Asian-American young folks that are coming in that are just blowing it out of the water in college, coming in with 4.0s, and they feel like if they're the best technologists, then they should get the best leadership and opportunities or the best stretch assignments. And the soft skills are not necessarily being um, um, elevated or really reinforced as a part of, it's not just about being smart, it's no longer about making straight A's. It's now, how do you, how do you um, engage others? Um, how do you communicate your point of view? Um, how do you influence within the corporation? Uh, and some of those things are very subtle. And, um, you know, and even if you're doing it, everything right, that culture may say it's not, it's still not good enough. Um, but I think the culture has a lot to do with whether or not you're getting the experience. And sometimes people of color, women of color, may be having a different experience than their, their counterparts. But they, the, the, the mentorship, the sponsorship, those things are important. And I heard this gentleman over here, and he's right, it's hard. Because it's not just black and white. I mean, it's not, okay, I've done everything right. I've got a great personality. I do great at my job. And it's still not happening for me. Um, and so there are real barriers that are out there that it will take relationships with people like Rashida, with people like Virginia to really have breakthroughs. And so those ERGs that exist in the company, those are places, those employee resource groups, those are places where you can really get leverage and connections that you can understand how to navigate some of that. Because you're gonna have to have some advocates to really push through some of those barriers for extreme success that we've talked about here today. Yeah. One thing you said that I just wanna pick up on, you know, I think these challenges is not about like college or mid-career. I mean, I had a colleague just last week when I had my Afro out, asked me if I was gonna go see a client in Ohio with my hair like that. Wow. That the client was extremely conservative and do you know that we're going to Ohio? And I said, are you wearing your hair like that? <laughs> this was a white lady. Okay, who told me that? So I think the difference is, is when I first joined the company, I probably was just, you know, I don't understand, or maybe I should change my hair, but I kindly let her know that was a ridiculous question. <laughs> so, see the, yeah, the, so I'm gonna, the, I'm gonna, the strength of that was that that was 21st century, September 2019. Yeah. Yeah, and I wanna pipe in on that because I've had people that I, my protégés come to me and ask me that question because they've had people that look like them, black people, tell them that they should not wear their hair natural. 
Okay. It's a big deal. So this is not a minor thing. What I say is you need to be yourself. If you can come as you are, then you're going to be just fine. But if you come wearing your hair the way you think someone else thinks you should be wearing your hair, you're not going to be okay. You know, so come as you are. Uh, in, in, terms of, in terms of entering culture, it is all about culture. It's, 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 you know, Tyrone, you know, you can call it the industrial complex. You can call it the organizational culture. You can call it anything you want. But the culture is what's dictating what's going on in, in, in today's um, economy and, and with today's uh, professional development. Uh, I'll say the biggest thing that I really had to learn to that point and to what Tyrone said earlier is that when people are lifting others up, okay, so your example is white men lifting others up, but, you know, lifting up whoever. When people are lifting others up, they put blinders on and they don't realize they have blinders on. And so, you know, I walked into a culture where, you know, people would be you know, raised up on a pedestal. Oh my God, Joe is amazing. Did you see what he did? You know, Andy, he never, he never skews anything up. If you need to know something, go see Andy. And I would go see Andy and Andy didn't know what he was talking about. That's right. <laughs> Andy That's did not know absolutely what right. he was talking about. That's right. And I'm sitting there and I'm going, why does everybody think Andy's the stuff? Like he really has no clue. But it's because they have blinders on because Andy did a few great things. And then, you know, people decided that Andy was going to be lifted up. Andy stopped doing great things and nobody noticed. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so the biggest thing I had to deal with was, you know, how do I navigate in, in this situation where people really aren't seeing the real, you know, the reality? You know, people are getting advantage because they're the good guy. Right. They, oh, he's a good guy. How many of you have heard that? Right. So they like Andy. They, they like know Andy. Andy's they gaps. Like Andy. They like so, Andy, Andy right. and they overlook that. So let's go back to what I said earlier. <laughs> they, they need like to get Andy. to know you. Yeah. And, and they're not necessarily going to know you if you don't reach out because they're not trying to know you to Tyrone's point. And so we are part of the solution. You know, we are the solution and we have to come and know that and move forward with that in mind, with that in mind, because Andy doesn't know everything. <laughs> Look, um, I'm, I'm gonna close with two points. One, at IBM for the black employees, our motto was reach back and pull through. And the other groups picked up on that. And we're not saying to the disadvantage of anybody else, we're just saying we have to have, we have to take responsibility for reaching back being involved in identifying young people who look like us and making sure they get a platform, number one. Number two, to amplify what they just said, your signature is important. And when I give talks, I don't talk about your signature with a pen. Your job performance, you show up, you do what's got to be done, your work ethic, the quality of your work, that is your signature. And that will, over time, overcome whether you, what your hair looks like because you will make yourself indispensable to a team by what you deliver to it. Thank you for letting us share your day. Thank you for listening to Ambition Without Fear, Women of Color and Technology, Needed But Hidden Figures No More, a professional development seminar. Featuring 
Diversity Workforce Catalyst for Ted Childs, LLC, Ted Childs. CEO of LG Chem, Denise Gray. Director of Global Diversity and Inclusion for Lockheed Martin Corporation, Fran M. Dillard. Rashida Hodge of IBM Corporation. Senior Technical Staff Member for IBM Corporation, Virginia Mayo. And Director of Workplace Engineering and Operations Solutions Sustainable Workplace for General Motors Corporation, Telva Magruder. If you have enjoyed this presentation, be sure to attend the Women of Color STEM Conference. For more information on how you, your company, or organization can take part, visit www.womenofcolor.net. For college students, contact us at 410-244-7101.